Okay, so yesterday, uh, recording this a bit late, just, well, actually, really early in the morning, uh, had some things going on yesterday, so I didn't uh, do it right after class like I typically do, but yesterday we had legal writing and torts, and I want to focus first on uh, torts, and what we did is we continued our discussion on intention, intentional torts. So, as we were talking, we went over Ranson v. Kittner and a Wagner v. State. Those are the two cases that we focus in depth on to discover what inten- intentional torts are and how uh, they can be interpreted to determine whether somebody has committed an intentional tort. Uh, let's, before getting into those two cases, I want to say it's not really a very good thing if somebody's committed an intentional tort. It's actually quite a serious thing. So, there are two interests in mind. You want to make sure that you have the interest of the person who is being accused of committing an intentional tort because it stays with them. And then you want the interest in mind of the person who was offended by the tort. Uh, because you want them to feel uh, a remedy for the tort that was committed. So let's go over this case. Let's start with Wagner v. State. So Wagner uh, was in the Kmart and was standing in line to check out when uh, Mr. Geese uh, was uh, pulled, on, pulled her hair, uh, pulled her to the ground, and she was considerably hurt. So, Mrs. Wagner sued the state, and it's important to note that she sued the state because Mr. Geese probably didn't have the financial means to uh, cover his uh, cover legal fees. So she sued the state instead, and the state actually said that this was not uh, this is a battery because the state is immune against batteries. So she's. Uh, Mrs. Wagner is trying to argue that this is negligence, not battery, uh, because she wants to be able to get a remedy for herself, and if it is battery, then the state can't doesn't need to pay a remedy. So, state's arguing that this is battery, and she's arguing that it's not, uh, just so that you can get money or prevent for money. So, they're actually arguing for different things. Uh counterintuitive things, you should say, to determine what is battery and what is not. So let's go ahead and talk about intent. So uh, Mrs. Wagner says that uh, he could not perform intent. Oh, I apologize. I didn't even talk about Mr. Geese's background. So Mr. Geese is a um, mentally uh, challenged individual. Uh, who needed supervision by the state, and the state was out supervising him in Kmart, and it wasn't just him, uh, the state supervising him, it was their encouragement to say, uh, we want to take him out to see how he does uh, interacting with other people, and obviously he didn't interact well, but, so that's Mr. Geese, Mr. Geese is a mentally challenged individual, and 
Mrs. Wagner is saying because he is mentally challenged, uh, he there's no way that he can form intent because uh, he was just not capable of having intention. The court disagrees, and they mention uh, the rule for battery. Uh, so first, uh, I should say they mention the rule for intent. And so the rule for intent is in two parts. Part one, the contact needs to be deliberate, and part two, the contact was harmful or offensive. And in this instance, uh, they determined that uh, Mr. Geese's contact was deliberate, and uh, because Mrs. Wagner is finally sued, that's evidence right there that it was harmful or offensive, and she was injured as well, so it was harmful. This brings up the issue that we talked about during class called dual interest, where you want the interest of the individual who committed the tort in mind, and you want the interest of uh, the individual who uh, was the victim, and I mentioned this earlier. Uh, the reason why you want the interest of the person who committed the tort is because, say, for example, they had no intent in causing harm, but their action inevitably caused harm. So you're walking up to a person and they, you put your arm around them and the person freaks out because you're touching them. Uh, you, you may not have meant to cause that person harm, but they are obviously in distress. So yes, you deliberately made contact, but didn't cause, want to cause the harm, yet you did cause the harm. So there's that interest where it's like you don't want to prevent people from working in good faith that they are doing what's right. But you also want to take into account the person who was, took offense or was harmed. Uh, you don't want them to feel that offense or harm, and you want them to have a remedy. So there's this double in interest here where both parties have an interest when it's not a harmful or seemingly harmful situation, but yet it causes harm. And so what the court has here is, in this case, under most circumstances, if it causes, if you have the intention to make contact, and that contact causes harm or offense, then it's considered an intentional tort. However, underneath those certain circumstances, uh, if a reasonable person can say, no, that person was had no intent to do harm, and the reaction was too much, then a reasonable person could say, could stretch that rule into the favor of the person who uh, potentially committed the intentional tort, saying that there was no intent. This is kind of seen in Ransom v. Kittner as well. In Ransom v. Kittner, we have... Uh, a plaintiff who uh, shot a dog, uh, believing it was a wolf, and so it was a mistake, uh, and the family is filing suit to claim damages for their dog. In this instance here, uh, the defendant is liable, 
of shooting the dog, even though they thought it was a wolf. So there was no intent to shoot their dog, but it was a mistake. So they did intend to shoot a wolf, but the mistake caused them to shoot a dog, and the consequence of their outcome was a tort. So that's really what we talked about. Uh, the rule, as far as I understand it, it was a little tricky to grasp f- grasp for me. But the rule, is, as I understood it, is one, there needs to be contact, deliberate contact. And two, that contact must cause offense or harm. And they are most likely to side with the uh, victim if that contact causes more harm than just offense. And there may be a gray area when it when that contact only causes offense, depending on the intention to cause harm by the individual. And that's intentional torts. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it. As well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.